Hi, and welcome back to Industrial Theory. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I hope you're having a fantastic and safe day. I am uh, thrilled to be interviewing Dr. Francesco Coletti today. He is the CEO and co-founder of Hexel. Hexel is the world's first digital hybrid twin for predictive maintenance of industrial heat transfer equipment. It's used by plant personnel, maintenance engineers, energy efficiency analysts, and heat transfer specialists around the world and all of the major plants really to assess and determine how to handle fouling in heat exchangers. I met Francesco through my good friend Hans Bork at Dow Chemical, and we hit it off. Uh, I think what they're doing is, is really, really interesting building out a predictive model about heat exchanger fouling, starting out in refineries and then really working into petrochem and, and chemicals. So anyway, really interesting stuff here. And Francesco is considered to be an expert in heat exchangers, particularly in the fouling of heat exchangers. He happened to get involved with it when he was attending Imperial College London in the early 2000s. And he got involved with a project that developed a mathematical model for refinery heat exchanger networks undergoing crude oil fouling and then validating that against what was really going on in the plant, real plant data. So that inspired him and his co-founder to start Hexel, which is a spinoff uh, from the work that they were doing at Imperial College London. And they're doing some really, really interesting things. So anybody who's in the industrial cleaning world who is cleaning, um, inspecting, or doing anything really with heat exchangers should be listening to this podcast episode. It's fantastic. So hang tight and I'll be right back with Francesco. All right, welcome back everybody. I'm so excited to have Francesco Coletti here with me today. Francesco, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. All right, so you are considered by many to be one of the world's top uh, experts on heat exchanger fouling. So how did you get into the industry? Well, first of all, thanks for the compliment. I think I am one of the experts, not necessarily the expert. But uh, yeah, I guess it's uh, it all started when I came to Imperial College here in London. Uh, as you can tell from my accent, uh, I'm Italian. But uh, although I lived in uh, outside Italy for more than 15 years between the UK and, uh, and the US, I, I, I can't get rid of the accent. Um, but when I came, when I came to, to, to London, um, to Imperial College, uh, for my masters, um, they were recruiting for a very big PhD project, uh, research project, which involved a number of PhDs. And, um, at the end of my masters, I was looking for opportunities. I had a couple of, uh, job offers, but I found this PhD project was extremely interesting because, uh, it was dedicated, it was sponsored by the UK government. And saw the collaboration of a lot of researchers and, 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 and industry to work on fouling of heat exchangers. So it was dedicated to crude oil distillation units. But it was a very uh, interesting project for me. It was, uh, you know, fouling uh, includes, encompasses a lot of uh, interesting aspects. It's a very challenging problem from a scientific point of view. So in terms of research and PhD research, it was extremely interesting. And also they have, uh, a, you know, it's a very industrial relevant project. Uh, so a problem that industry actually have. And so I felt that that was very compelling. And, uh, you know, there was, you know, all the elements that interested me, the very difficult problem to crack uh, and top people to work with, 
uh, and the close collaboration with industry. So we had 70% uh, of the world's refining capacity represented there. So with the likes of ExxonMobil, BP, Shell, uh, Petronas, Petrobras, etc. So it was quite uh, quite interesting, challenging, and and rewarding uh, prospect to 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 join. And uh, so so I did, and so that's how I got uh, caught into the the fouling uh, um, science and, and 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 technology. And so was the the goal of the overall project to reduce fouling or was it to understand understand what creates fouling like what what was the focus right so it was uh, all of the above uh, it was mm -hmm. uh, really a multi-pronged attack to to the problem so there were people looking at better understanding fouling better understanding the causes of fouling and the mitigation methodologies that could be applied to it so there were people looking at the molecular modeling for example people looking at the producing the deposits in the lab at the small scale and the, and the large scale with the pilot plants that were replicating refinery conditions, so very challenging, especially inside the university. But also, and where my role is, was actually looking at the system level, the, the modeling of, of, of fouling. So try kind of acquire all the knowledge from the other uh, researchers to uh, be able to make it uh, usable at industrial uh, level. So how did this all lead to the creation of Hexcel and you joining Hexcel? Right. So when we finished the project, uh, after a few years, uh, we felt that, uh, you know, because we worked in collaboration with the industry, we knew that, that the technology we developed was something that was relevant to them. And so we decided to uh, spin out the company that took a little bit of time uh, negotiating IP with the college, etc. But eventually we, we managed to. And so that's, where, that's how it all started, uh, by acquiring the technology that was developed within this project. And because we knew that it was relevant to, to industry and it was solving a, 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 a big problem that industry had. So I explained uh, in my own words what Hexel does in the pre-show, but uh, okay. I didn't do justice, not like you. So what, what exactly does Hexel do? Yeah, so um, we focus on predicting maintenance of uh, heat exchangers. So we look at predicting fouling in, uh, in the heat exchangers and using that information to guide the uh, users, so the refineries, petrochemical plants, etc., to optimize their operations so that they can minimize fouling. We look at uh, uh, monitoring the state of the assets. So we look at uh, quantifying the effect, the impact that fouling has on operations. And when I mean, when I say quantify, uh, I'm talking about, you know, in dollar terms. So we, we can understand what is the impact at the plant level and how much is fouling costing. Uh, the plants. And then we look at uh, optimizing the cleaning actions. So we look at uh, the scheduling of the uh, cleaning and we look at uh, what actions should be performed and when in order to maximize the benefit by those cleaning actions. So your value proposition is basically to be able to help plants understand what's going on inside of their heat exchangers so they can ideally reduce the maintenance costs over time. They reduce their energy bill, increase their production. Very often, fouling is causes of uh, um, is a cause of uh, losses in production, unexpected shutdowns. But also, when, for example, pressure drops become too high, uh, the the throughput goes down. Uh, sometimes we hit some thermal limits uh, uh, at the furnace, for example, and therefore they, they need to reduce production. So we we make sure that we are able to predict when these failures, if you will, or these problematic points happen 
and we are able to tell in advance the operators what action to take in order not to be in that situation. Okay, so you know we live in this whole world of you know of maintenance and and ideally preventative maintenance, but not always uh, on the industrial cleaning side. So maybe help talk about you know what the difference is. What is preventative maintenance versus predictive maintenance versus prescriptive maintenance, and the difference between them? Right. So. Preventative maintenance is what uh, we do with our car, right? Uh, after a certain number of miles, uh, I bring my car and uh, to the mechanic because I want to prevent a problem to happen. So I change my oil, I may cross over the tires uh, and, and so on and so forth. But that means that I'm not, uh, I'm making some assumptions. So the manufacturers made some assumptions that at a certain time, point in time, you need to take certain actions in order to prevent failures, right? which means that this is not optimized by the way that I drive my car, which may be different from the way that you drive your car, the different uh, climates uh, that may be there, et cetera, et cetera. So it's preventative maintenance is a, a maintenance done at certain intervals in order to prevent a failure to happen. When we look at uh, predictive maintenance, we are looking at uh, predicting based on the, on the status of the, of the equipment, we are looking at predicting when a failure is going to happen. What does that mean? It means that in the example of the car, for example, I don't necessarily go in after 10,000 miles uh, to change my oil, uh, but I detect the state of my oil. And if it needs to be replaced, I will be warned a month in advance, two weeks in advance, that I need to go in and change, which means that now I, I know in advance what action I need to take, but also I uh, optimize my, 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 the number of oil changes that I do. I may be doing less oil changes, so it's going to cost me less, or I may be doing more uh, oil changes, but I will be preventing more failures that way. And so that's where predictive maintenance uh, becomes very powerful because it will tell you in advance what is the optimal action to take. Now, prescriptive maintenance is, is, is other, another layer, which is exactly what to do about it, right? About the failure and what to do uh, uh, to prevent that failure. So um, I will, uh, you know, uh, for example, uh, the, again, in the example of the car, uh, I may be told by the system, drive slower or, uh, you know, uh, don't keep uh, switching on and off the car or whatever, whatever it is. So uh, I am prescriptive in the actions that we need, needed to be taken at what point in time. That's kind of the difference between the three. There is also reactive maintenance, which is what we see our customer, many customers actually do. Uh, in industry, which is basically waiting for a failure to happen and they take action, right? So in many cases, there are people that do preventative maintenance. So they, on a regular basis, they clean, for example, their heat exchangers. Um, and some people, they just wait for a problem to happen. So hit one of the limits that we discussed before. I don't know, the thermal limit or the, they start losing production, then they do something. Predictive maintenance is to try to understand in advance and warn in advance when a, a loss is going to happen, when the loss in throughput is going to happen, when you're going to hit your furnace limit. And then prescriptive maintenance would be tell also what action to exactly to take in order to prevent that. Should I open up and clean my heat exchanger mechanically, chemically, thermally, uh, with ultrasounds, whichever whichever it is. So these are, these are the, uh, the differences between the, the various uh, philosophies, if you will, of maintenance. Yeah, I really appreciate that analogy. I think that explains it very well. Thank you. All right. So now this is leading to what 
is eventually going to be condition-based cleaning of heat exchangers. So what is condition-based cleaning? So with condition-based cleaning, we are trying to detect the status of the asset. So if you're talking about heat exchangers, we're trying to understand what how much fouling I have inside the unit, that's fine, but also what type of fouling uh, deposits do I have? And, and based on that information, I try to optimize the cleaning action. So I detect the conditions of the asset and I take an action based on that condition. That's condition-based cleaning. In the, the condition-based maintenance, if you will. In the specific of condition-based cleaning, we want to optimize the cleaning action that needs to be taken. So for how long do I need to take offline my heat exchanger? Or should I be using chemical cleaning? And if I use chemical cleaning, is it going to be effective or not? Uh, depending on the status of my fouling deposits, basically. So there is no point for me to send, for example, for thermal cleaning, uh, which is uh, essentially pyrolysis of organic material. Um, there is no point for me to send out a heat exchanger to be cleaned thermally if they, I have inorganic material. At that point, you know, hydroblasting is most likely the, 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 the better option. So we are really, condition-based cleaning, you want to detect the status of the heat exchanger and decide what is the optimal action to be taken. And you can optimize the individual type of cleaning as well. So I'm not just saying that use this to select chemical from mechanical. You can also be able to optimize your type of mechanical cleaning, for example. Okay, that's great. And so now is Hexel's software in a position to help plants get to commit condition-based cleaning or is there still more work that needs to be done? Yeah, so what I described before, the, uh, the predictive, prescriptive, we do all that already. So we're already able to tell the plants uh, when to clean, what it exchanges to clean, and also how to clean. But obviously, there is more work to be done in terms of the condition-based to better understand. So we have some research done uh, on the algorithms that we could use to really detect the state of the fouling deposits. Um, there needs to be some validation, more validation work to be done, of course. And so we're still working on it. And this is something that it's an ongoing process. But the ability of uh, understanding when to clean and, and, and to provide information on how to clean, for how long to clean, etc., that's already there. It's already commercial. That's great. All right. So let's do a little bit deeper dive. So who are your customers and how do they use the software exactly? I right, so... Uh, the vast majority of our customers are uh, oil refineries and petrochemical plants. Uh, we have some applications also in other areas like food fouling and, and, and uh, biofuel production, etc. But the main, uh, the main uh, areas are uh, refineries and petrochemical plants. And how they use the software is by, um, you know, the software, once it's connected and it's set up, uh, the digital twin will run uh, overnight and will provide uh, updated information uh, to the user on the state of their equipment. So the first thing that they do with this information is to monitor their plant so that we'd be able to understand how operations are going. They will be able to understand what is the impact of fouling, quantify them, as, as I mentioned before. Uh, and they'll be able to look at what if scenarios. So now it's not just the monitoring what happened, but also what can we do in the future? So with that, we can do what if scenarios uh, what if I increase production? What if I decrease production? What if I take one heat exchanger offline? What's going to happen to the rest of my network? Uh, how is gonna uh, how the economics of the plant are gonna be impacted by by any decision that I make on the plant on, on the operating conditions? And then they're able to um, we present a cleaning schedule that allows them to optimize the cleaning action as I mentioned before. 
So they're able to plan in advance their maintenance, call the vendor and say, okay, I want my heat exchanger to be cleaned. Um, and, and in particular this one, and then in a two months time, I want this other one to be cleaned and so on and so forth. So it seems um, like a no-brainer, right, for for plants to want this, to really be able to understand what's going inside of heat exchangers, which is, of course, is such a critical aspect to, you know, refining and, and petrochem. What is the biggest barrier that you see for plants like, buying into this type of technology and really understanding what it can do for, for their operations? Right. So uh, as I mentioned before, our customers are very large corporations. They have very a lot of moving parts. Uh, so when we look at implementing our type of technology, there are different departments involved with it. Um, there is not just the energy department uh, or the, you know, the energy efficiency department or the maintenance department, which could be the end users, but it's, it can be, you know, the IT uh, people need to be involved. Uh, very often these are part of digitalization projects. So you have the innovation people involved. So there is, there are a lot of moving parts that need to come together in order to uh, deploy the technology. But in terms of a, a you know a small demonstration project, it's typically easier uh, to do. We just need data and and we can present our, our case. But when it comes to the implementation side, there are a lot of other of stakeholders that need to be involved, and that's probably what's slowing uh, things a little bit down uh, when it comes to the implementation of this. Yeah, we see it from our side of the business too. You have the contractor involved, and then you have procurement and maintenance and safety and you know, ideally operations, but everybody's running under different budgets with different goals, with different priorities. And so trying to get that aligned in huge corporations is incredibly difficult. Right. Uh, I do I do see progress being made with a, a lot of, I think, forward-thinking uh, industrial companies where they're seeing, okay, we need to have um, you know, industrial cleaning experts who can tie all those different departments together so that the, you know, the company can achieve its overall goals, but it's incredibly complex. And, and, and like you said, a lot of moving parts. So, right. yeah, but that's how right, change, that's how change takes place um, over, over, it's over time. And then all of a sudden it starts to speed up and speed up and speed up. And, and I'm sure that, that you're seeing those things happen as, as, as automation is really changing and you know, predictive analytics is becoming more and more widely used within these facilities. No, absolutely. It's part of the innovation process uh, in, in our industry. It's, uh, it, we are still living in a very conservative industry. And uh, although I think the past uh, couple of years, uh, things have changed in the mindset of people, uh, there is still uh, this type of uh, natural uh, issues, the fact that intrinsically there are a lot of moving parts that need to come together. So let's talk about heat exchanger design. So we sometimes get into projects with industrial cleaning contractors to clean exchangers like, what, how do you even clean this thing? Uh, you know, twisted tubes and, and people not designing plants with maintenance and cleaning in mind. So in, in your opinion, you know, is heat exchanger design a important aspect of fouling and what advancements are being made in heat exchanger design to reduce the amount of fouling that it, that occurs? Yeah, this is a very big topic in the sense that obviously there is a straight correlation between the design of a heat exchanger and the fouling behavior because fouling is strictly a uh, function of uh, the shear stress inside the heat exchangers and function of temperature, etc. So obviously the design has a lot to do with the, the, the outcome of the operations. 
let's just say there is a lot there is a lot of uh, to unpack here one of the thing is the fact that yeah the design methodology that been used to design the heat exchangers uh, a design methodology been developed uh, in the 50s 60s um the uh, philosophies that they were used there uh, they were significantly different from today's philosophies and so there is some natural evolution that needs to happen in terms of how we uh, deal with the heat exchanger design to mitigate by design fouling people have recognized that it's not i'm not the only one saying this so there are people looking at uh, different approaches for example using design margins instead of fouling factors uh, which in, in themselves have a lot of uh, a lot of limitations and uh, i can describe that more in detail if needed but uh, it might be too boring now uh, to go into that detail but um, so there are people that recognize that the heat exchanger design is important they're trying to do different things one of the things that we do is we look at uh, um, how it, a, a design using analytics uh, how a, a different design would have performed in uh, in the plant if you were in place four years ago, for example. So we take four years worth of data, we train our models, we're able to predict uh, fouling inside the heat exchanger. Now we take one heat exchanger out, we put a different technology, for example, you know, compa blocks, uh, you mentioned twisted tubes, uh, helical baffles and so on, or a simple redesign of the traditional shell and tube exchangers. And we see how that performed, how that would have performed over the past four years in your plant. So um, that's kind of a use of digital technology to try to improve the, the, the design of the, uh, um, from a design point of view, how we uh, approach and how we can mitigate uh, fouling. But you made a really good point in terms of the maintenance side of things. Very often people don't have maintenance in mind when they look at designing heat exchangers and that's something that needs to be changed. But, you know, we live in an industry where most of the assets were designed and, and put in place in the 70s, in the 80s, uh, and they're still uh, they're still working. And uh, and and so, forget about maintenance. That certainly that were not designed for analytics. So very often we have a lot of measurements that are missing because people did not think about we need that measurement to do the analytics to do artificial intelligence, right? So I think all of this will come together with the next generations of assets that we design. They, they will be designed for analytics, they will be designed for uh, maintenance, they will be designed for automation. What I think we really need to think about is, again, in the 70s, there were no automated uh, cleaning methods that could uh, you know, prevent people to go there with the jet lances, et cetera, like we have now. But uh, so the heat exchanger were designed in a certain way. But if you, if you now account for uh, automation, in the cleaning aspects, you may make your life much easier if you consider that in the design at the design stage. So all these the analytics, the, the maintenance, all this needs to come together in the next generation of assets. Yeah, it's really interesting. And and what is the average life of a heat exchanger? I mean, are are heat exchangers from the seventies still very prevalent? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You'd be, you'd be surprised. There are um, 30, 40 years, maybe seventies. Now it's too. Uh, maybe I was exaggerating there, but certainly, you know, thirty years, forty years. The, the, there are exchanges that have been operating 30, 40 years. Twenty years, uh, it, it's more, uh, it's more reasonable. But there are, the, but the design methodologies are the same, right, from the seventies, and 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 the assets themselves have that that embedded in in them. So. Even if they were put in place 20 years ago, they were not designed with analytics in mind. They were not designed with, with this type of automated maintenance in mind. 
And are you talking to heat exchanger manufacturers? I mean, do they understand the problem and do you see innovation happening within heat exchanger design? Yes, we have, we have been talking to heat exchanger manufacturers. They are clearly understood that uh, there is a, a change coming and, uh, and especially um, even if for individual heat exchangers, not just for trains or for big application, even for small heat exchangers, you know, you cannot, uh, they, they understood that they need to start instrumenting their own heat exchangers and provide uh, insights to their customers as well. Um, the challenge there is that they are, they, they are used to build heat exchangers that they don't have in analytics department. That's why they, we are actually uh, talking to them because really our expertise is, is at, the, at the crossing of heat exchanger, heat exchanger design operations with the uh, AI analytics uh, and so on. So and mathematical modeling, general statistics and so on. I, I cannot think of a future uh, where, uh, you know, companies like big oil companies will not have a, a complete picture of all their assets down to the individual heat exchanger. It's, um, it's, it's, it, it's going to happen. I, I agree with you. And how many heat exchangers do you think there are in the world? Oh, <laughs> well, that's, that's a difficult one. If you think about, uh, I, I can give you the example of refineries, refineries, you have about 600 refineries or so. The numbers keep uh, going down. There were 700 and plus uh, just 15 years ago. Now around 600, last, the last figure I saw. And each of them have anywhere in between uh, 20 to 60 exchanger just in the preheat train, right? Mm -hmm. So um, there is a enormous amount in the whole refineries. You can take 10 times that number probably. So there are a lot of heat exchangers uh, that big corporations have uh, under their uh, under their uh, you know asset list, if you will. Then if you start adding up uh, all the depends what you consider a heat exchanger, right? If you start adding up all the air conditioning stuff and all, then it the numbers become extremely extremely high very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I I was thinking between you know one and two million exchangers and in industrial applications around the world. Mm, possibly, yeah. Yeah, you think I might be a little high? <laughs> I don't. I, I well, I, I I need to get back to you on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because there's exchangers. I mean, it's not just refining and petrochem, right? They're in food processing plants. I mean, on naval ships, and you just right start really thinking about where they all are. It. I, I agree. I think the number is big. But yeah, it, it's kind of a difficult estimate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you ever find out, let me know. <laughs> have you yeah, ever? Have I you will, ever? Will. I'm yeah, curious. I will. <laughs> All right. So, can your technology transfer to other industrial cleaning applications, such as uh, pipe or tank cleaning? Yeah, no, for sure. The I, I think the uh, we started from fouling heat exchanges and crude distillation unit because we saw it to be, you know, the most challenging problem. Uh, out there uh, because we knew it, the numbers are very big, you know, the, in terms of implications of the energy consumption, the, 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 you know, the bottom line for the customers and the CO2 emissions, that's the biggest uh, problem that we could uh, put our uh, uh, minds to. But the technology is certainly applicable to others and having uh, solved uh, or almost solved that problem, I think we are, we are in a good position to, as we are doing, to look into other areas as well. I know that's a big one with the effort to reduce confined space entries. So I know tank cleaning is top of mind for many people. How do I understand what's going on in my tank and how do I keep people out of it? So I was curious as to how this will grow into those other applications. Yeah, well, I'm not sure now uh, specific about tanks, uh, but um, 
we are looking at other areas of of, of uh, and, and other equipment as well. But uh, I don't have any specifics now that I can uh, can discuss on tanks. Yeah, understood, understood. All right. So, how do industrial cleaning contractors play in uh, play a role in the journey from predictive um, and prescriptive maintenance? Well, there are two aspects. One is the fact that, uh, yes, we can tell when to clean and uh, how to clean, et cetera, but then the cleaning is to be done and we are not the ones doing the cleaning. Uh, so obviously uh, they are on the ground performing the job and the job needs to be done well. And so that's that's the first thing. And the second part is the safety aspect that obviously needs to be, the job needs to be done and needs to be done safely. And so um, they have a very important role in terms of we can tell you when to clean, how to clean, because it's economical to do so, because you can reduce your uh, CO2 emissions. But at the end of the day, someone needs to go there and perform the job. And that's where uh, they, they come in. But also in terms of, as I said, we can help with the safety aspects because we, we make sure that the action that we ask to take are only the ones that are actually necessary to be done for the, for the, with the KPIs that we have in mind. Uh, or that we have we have set for ourselves, but then the job needs to be done and needs to be done well. Uh, the second and the second aspect is also the fact that the data they can collect it's very valuable to us. So while they're doing the job, if they're able to collect samples, if they're able to collect information about the cleaning itself, that can feed back into our uh, software and provide very valuable validation of the condition-based cleaning aspects that we described before and can give uh, very good, um, more confidence that the next cleaning will be performed to the specifications that we would like to have. Yes, that's a good segue into equipment manufacturers like us here at Stone Age. You know, how do you see our role in advancing technology to be able to do just that? Right. So I, I know the Stone Age is quite advanced on that and uh, already doing uh, a lot of work around uh, collecting data uh, and so on. So that's definitely something that it's very useful, and, and I think that's something that industry is gonna, uh, you know, want, want, and you know, from the your customer perspective, if I were your customer, I would like to know from you, you know, how clean is my heat exchanger before you put it back online. And so, having the information in real time that's extremely important to me as a customer, and it would be extremely important to me as a Excel, as I mentioned before, because we could use that information to further validate our models. So the boots on the grounds are extremely important from that perspective, but the technology provider are very important because they need to provide this, the technology usable, simple for the people that are actually performing the cleaning so that they can feedback this information to, to you, to Stone Age or to the technology manufacturers to improve their tools, to the, to the software companies to improve their, uh, their models and to the customer to give a confidence that the, the job was done and was done well. We have, we have seen very often that, you know, half done jobs, right? So where the, um, the, some people go in and they clean one out of three tubes, right? To make the job qu quicker. And we can detect that immediately with the, with the, from the analytics, you know? Um, so the fact that you're able to, during the cleaning, you're able to demonstrate that it's an automated system. It takes much less time to perform the job. It will do all the tubes because it's programmed to do all the tubes. So this gives you confidence. And, and, and then you can demonstrate with the data that that's done. So I think that's, uh, that's, you know, fantastic. Yeah. We're so excited that Sentinel has officially launched. And I think the industry, the feedback that we've gotten from the industry is really, really positive about 
the power and of the data, and of course, just how much more efficiently you can clean. But the power of the data, and and we're just getting started with what we'll be able to validate, and uh, and it's really exciting. I mean, to see how much the industry has changed just in the last few years, it's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, on that note, is there anything else that you think that we should know about manufacturing 4.0 within our industry? Well, I think that yeah, you need to know that it's coming yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. in the sense that many people, uh, you know, may look the other way or put their, you know, their head under the sand, but uh, it's coming. And so the, the sooner you adopt it, the sooner you're prepared for it, the better it is. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as wrapping things up here, I'd love to have people know where they can find out more about Hexcel and how can they find you? Well, the best place is definitely our website, but also uh, if you want to engage with me on LinkedIn, uh, I'll be be very happy. And also the LinkedIn page of the company as well. But uh, those are, I think, the website has all the information. And what's your website? Uh, uh, www.hexcel.com. Wonderful. And I'll include all that in the show notes as well. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for educating us on this very important aspect of industrial cleaning. Uh, This was super fun. I learned so much and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me and uh, thank you very much. All right. Hang tight and I'll be right back. All right, everyone, I'm back. Thank you for listening. I hope that you got a great education from Francesco. I certainly have. Every time I talk to him, I learn something new and uh, and he's such a great guy. So with that, I'll leave you until the next episode of Industrial Theory. And I hope you have a very safe and productive week. Thanks for listening.